0: friday night edition of the pod here trying out a new format uh, which we mentioned we're going to do for maybe these first couple of weeks of doing a friday episode skipping thursday night which i think was fine there weren't any really great games last night although we will actually discuss them in the second half of the show so this way you get all of the games we were running into the issue where on friday nights we wouldn't do a show and then there'd already be a game four in those series by sunday so you'd have two games to discuss so I'm glad we're doing an episode tonight, because this Pacers-Cavs game, another just really interesting game, and all right, I asked you after game one, what was your Cavaliers panic meter? You set a six. What is it now after a 92-90 win for the Pacers that was only close late due to some mistakes and, and good shooting by the Cavs, but they had a seven-point lead with under a minute left?
1: It's definitely higher. I would say something like a seven, maybe a seven and a half, and the reason why is because Cleveland still... If they win game four, they are in control of the series. At that point, yes, Indiana has already won a game in Cleveland, so there isn't that aura. But game sevens about a seventy percent prop or sorry, an eighty percent proposition for the home team. And Clutch LeBron is is still real. He he had some big plays in this one. So as long as they take care of business there. Now, obviously, if they lose game four, then this goes to a nine and a half or basically as high as it can go. So they have to take care of business. But I mean a lot of this game you sat there and go okay this is the way cleveland can win a game in this series in a more sustainable way because this offensive success that they had early in the game though it dissipated of course late was more sustainable it was lebron getting to the basket all that kind of stuff not just him hitting a bunch of jump shots
0: yeah i thought they looked really good early and they sure had some pretty good shots in the second half too i mean certainly indiana increased the defensive intensity and held them to a miserable total of 33 points in the second half uh but but it's very easy to to forget that the Cleveland Cavaliers led this at halftime, 57-40. to 40, And they couldn't blame the Victor Oladipo foul trouble at this point. Uh, and I thought that they had completely taken the Pacers out of what they wanted to do in pick and roll with the tactic that we've discussed amply on the show, which is trapping Victor Oladipo. And then, as the big man tried to roll to the basket, bring another guy over to... Uh, meet him essentially wherever he catches the ball whether it's at the foul line whether it's at the top of the key really get into him so he can't put it on the floor and then Indiana really didn't have any counters for that which was a surprise because Cleveland had been doing that most of the series already and it really was working well And then in the second half, uh, Indiana finally was able to adjust. They started bringing Victor Oladipo off of screens uh, from the weak side. He hit a three pretty early on. Uh, They began shorting the pick and roll. Bogdanovich had a huge three on that in the fourth quarter shorting, meaning I thought you gave a a good analysis uh, of it during the Twitter NBA show of it's like, you know, a, a release valve for, for a passer against the Blitz in football where you bring a guy up to the wing so there's an easy passing angle rather than having to throw it to the big who they're getting ready to stop. Uh, so they just went with Victor Oladipo in isolation and, and he was cooking J.R. Smith and the Cavaliers famously have no help at all at the rim. Again, Indiana just killed them at the rim in this game with uh, 48% of their shots coming at the rim. So it was all really I, I, and we just it was remarkable how bad the player pacers were playing offensively in the the first half and once that dissipated uh, they and they finally hit a few three-point shots bogdanovich had seven of their eight three-point shots in this game we'll talk about him more in a second the Cavs couldn't stop the Pacers anymore and at that point you know you thought oh well Cleveland is just going to start scoring and that didn't happen
1: yeah and a lot of that was shots that absolutely could not have gone or could have gone in that did not Cleveland missed four threes in succession late in the fourth quarter by capable shooters I think JR missed one Kevin Love missed one LeBron missed one and I don't remember the last one but so Indiana deserves credit because I thought they did a better job defending and I think the place I want to start with that is their two starting forwards Bogdan Bogdanovich has or sorry Bojan Bogdanovich has done a a better job than I ever would have expected in the series defending LeBron one-on-one and he got in some foul trouble early which was not as catastrophic as Oladipo because he's not as central to the offense but I thought they really did miss him and then Thaddeus Young we have gotten asked during the show well why isn't Thaddeus Young guarding LeBron and I think part of the reason why is we saw it more in the second half than the first he did a really good job on LeBron
0: on Kevin Love you mean Thaddeus Young yeah. Sorry.
1: sorry sorry, I'm kevin love yeah
0: and love 16 points in the first half did not get his first points until under 10 seconds remained when he got an offensive rebound sprinted out to the corner and hit a three uh, when they were down four to cut it to one and young forced a couple of turnovers just getting into love at the elbow just making him turn it over not being strong with the ball taking away some of that elbow action that they like to run uh, the love post-ups uh, didn't really happen against Young. He's been strong enough to deal with those. And then when he switched on to LeBron, I think he's a totally credible option there too. But that's the big reason, right? Is that Miles Turner can't guard Love because of the shooting and they need turner as a help guy and so again they really got away with having miles turner guarding jr smith who ended up three for 11 handed jr missed a, a fair amount of open threes as well uh they got away with him guarding george hill who did have 13 points only 23 minutes though and did not close the game they went with clarkson amazingly i i'm not really sure why i thought hill did more for them uh than clarkson and, and it's more trustworthy defensively clarkson was only one out of four in his minutes uh, really the only guy and and this is a sobering stat if you're cleveland james is four of seven love was three out of five on threes only three three pointers were made by the supporting cast and the Cavs. and this is the team that's trying to get all this shooting out there now i thought that the cavaliers while they had this great shooting starting lineup really shot themselves in the foot quite a bit by playing nance and jeff green together and, and especially with lebron onto the game and those lineups just have no chance of scoring i mean it, it's that's not a terrible spacing lineup by modern standards but you know with a team that that's kind of limited this Pacers team has been pretty good defensively they were not able to score with that combination on the floor and the Pacers were able to roll back finally hit a few threes uh in the second half especially Bogdanovich, and uh really found a way around those traps and once that occurred Cleveland did not have a, a ton of answers the one thing I, I want yeah go ahead well, yes. I want to
1: go sorry I want to go a yeah. step further with that you talked about the bench and the lack of shooting they also had some real trouble in the third quarter when LeBron was still right. on the floor
0: he played LeBron the whole second LeBron
1: half second half and so they pulled tyloo pretty much pulled all of their starters or close to it at the same time and so it was this lineup of lebron and nance and jeff green clarkson and hood and there just really wasn't much of a place for the offense to go and that was another time when indiana was able to cut into the margin and i'm just sitting there going well well why did you think this lineup was going to work other than the incandescence of lebron and chetty osman would have been a more logical point in that just because he can he can hit open shots compete on defense and yes jeff Green had a nasty dunk on Sabonis, who had. I don't think that well, was actually it was, part actually, of the, it was that on stretch.
0: Turner at the rim, but he blew past Sabonis on, on the. Perimeter. Oh, he yeah.
1: blew past Sabonis. That's right, and and that was a highlight for sure. That was one of the best plays, uh, individual plays of the game. But he just doesn't have much value on this team because they can help off him as a shooter. And I actually thought Indiana underutilized Miles Turner. He was on the floor in in on that dunk that you talked about, but they could have used him instead of Trevor Booker. And I just think that helped. With their offense, and Turner ended up playing 30 minutes, which I, I don't know how comfortable they are going super far past that with him. But the Pacers, if they play, if they can react the way that they did in the second half, and I have my misgivings on why it took so long, but Cleveland is going to have to develop another wrinkle to this defense because Indiana was getting much, much, much better shots.
0: I thought it was very similar to Game Two of Miami Philly, where Philly had a nice lead after one. The second quarter starts, they get some real nice open threes from good shooters Kyle Korver had three open threes for example in the third quarter missed all of them Smith had some looks at at that point I think Hill had one in the third Love might have missed one or two and all of a sudden the other team's coming back you've missed some shots I didn't think the Pacers D was great at the start of the third at all you've now run through the time where you have your best offensive lineup on the floor you got you bring in jeff green and larry nance and the pacers start scoring they come back a little bit and all of a sudden now their defensive intensity gets to a fever pitch they're inspired by the fact that you've missed some shots that the scoreboard is starting to turn in their direction and then i thought they really increased the defensive intensity after you know maybe three four five minutes in that third quarter when and that's when they started forcing some turnovers um i thought also lebron at the end i mean he made the right play a number of times down the stretch and threw it to guys who just missed open threes and then he took two threes of his own in a row in uh, the festus azili moment where he got sabonis switched onto and hit two threes uh, on him to actually put the Cavs up by one after he had a personal 8-0 run or i'm sorry it was a 7-0 run because i think he missed one of the free throws to tie it and then the pacers just outscored him again the Cavs couldn't score bogdanovich hit that ridiculous three from 30 feet off of a scramble and oladipo was just they had to just double oladipo because they have no room protection even if they're just waiting back at the room it was meaningless uh oladipo was only one out of eight from three he's been off from three in these last two games but it didn't matter he's just so fast he's getting the room they had to double team and then the Pacers were carving that up and it really should have been even worse like that that young monster dunk was taken away by a needless foul by Sabonis for example like I thought the Pacers scoring in the second half actually understated how badly they were hurting the Cavs in terms of their shot quality
1: and for those that didn't watch this game you could see Victor Oladipo's line 5 of 15 from the field 1 of 8 from 3 5 turnovers 7 assists and go oh well he wasn't that great almost everything positive that Indiana did offensively during his 39 minutes, which was a lot, was due to the attention that Cleveland paid to Oladipo. That was true on the doubles. And then when one of the smarter other adjustments that McMillan made in the second half, again, not in the first half, was just not bringing a screen. I mean, the whole point of, of a screen is to create separation, to, to basically dislodge man defender and man with ball. Victor Oladipo can do that his own damn self. And he cooked Jared Smith a couple of times. In game two, he cooked Jeff Green a couple of times and I thought they got some really good results there and of course they got good results shorting the pick and roll with Bogdanovich who his 7 of 9 from 3 11 to 15 from the field I think a lot of that is attributable to the attention justifiably received by Oladipo
0: yeah th- that was certainly the case and then uh, the other thing that I really liked what they did and Bogdanovich was the leader in this as well Collison had a drive on this as well was when they double teamed to Oladipo, they would throw it on a sh- shorted on the pick and roll, maybe, and there would be a closeout to someone like Bogdanovich, and he wouldn't have the shot right away. But then he would just drive to the basket, knowing that the trap had taken place. 35 feet from the basket and there was no one there and so all he had to do was beat his man one-on-one and Bogdanovich if he can get some momentum going to the basket off of one foot can actually finish pretty well over when it's just his own man who's a guard trying to stick him Um, he was really good there I thought and then defensively on LeBron they just they did enough to tire him out and whether it was he went to a strategy that I really think more guys should do they most guys go to like a three-quarter front where basically you're kind of behind the guy but you're sort of reaching around him and putting a hand up and that doesn't make that pass that difficult what Bogdanovich did is a full front he actually got stood in front of LeBron in between him and the passer when he tried to post up like he was almost boxing out LeBron and just trying to push him to the baseline and that forced like a real lob over the top, and then they could bring help on that, or he could had plenty of time with the ball in the air to get back in front anyway. But that just made the catches harder. There was one time they switched; they tried to get it to Love. Bogdanovich, great job again, just made that pass impossible because he and and just his strength and just how low he gets and uses leverage has been quite a revelation for me. Um, and, and he has exploited to some degree LeBron's lack of moves off the dribble. You, know, I mean, really, the way to beat Bogdanovich is with his lack of foot speed, but LeBron, you know, he's fast in a straight line, but his change of direction, his moves to break a guy down, you know, haven't really been there as much uh since really you know his time in Miami um and especially now as his career is you know not quite moving into a new phase yet but he's been effective in different ways so uh where does Cleveland go from here uh what do, what do they need to do to even the series and of course really take control again you know obviously this game four is gonna be massive
1: well one one important part I talked about this when we did game two I thought Kevin Love was going to be a lot more limited physically so I think they should feed him a little bit more consistently well, so
0: what does that mean where the in the post is that bringing him off a screen is it you know i would bring him off yeah.
1: screens more often i think that they the communication of the pacers has been pretty good in the series but especially if they're going to put put miles turner on jr george hill however they're going to do that the, love's footwork is so good in those circumstances i think they take the advantage love can get a little bit stagnant sometimes in the post especially if it's a like-sized guy and daddy's young is close enough yeah. i mean it's a different build but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna quibble too much with that and i would commingle the uh, first of all play george hill and in core even if those guys aren't doing well the theory of them especially with lebron is a whole lot better than these second unit guys where it doesn't make a ton of sense and commingle it a little bit more because those second units if they're first of all playing lebron 42 minutes yeah he he hit a couple big shots late but i I think there's just too much to bear especially this early if they want to make a conference finals nba finals run but never play a lineup where there are a fewer than two knockdown shooters around LeBron and I think they can get pretty close to that if you count Rodney Hood in that conversation maybe he doesn't deserve it and so maybe that's playing Hood and Smith together more so using those guys as more of a trio rather than going with like Jeff Green or however you want to kind of classify that and I think that would really help bring more vibrance to those other minutes and then Nance and Love should be substitutes they did that pretty well in this game and I I don't exactly know I mean, Nance had some nice little hustle plays in this game, but he just doesn't have as much of a place in this specific series on this specific Cavs team. I wouldn't, I would try Tristan. I've said it since game one. I wouldn't rely on it. But Cleveland doesn't have that many wrinkles left. I think Lou fixing the starting lineup did a lot of that for them.
0: Well, I've got a few things. One would be Indiana has actually done a great job of defending the small guard screening for LeBron. They've done, they went to like a double high pick, which we talked about, I think, after game one for LeBron. and that worked really well in the first game and then indiana has been ready for it after that McMillan, dan burke their defensive coordinator got them ready they're basically having whoever it is go way underneath is guarding lebron usually by damage go way underneath those double screens and for some reason and they've the Cavs have always done this sometimes with jr too it's like they'll actually have that guy roll to the basket a lot like the small guy who set the screen for lebron and i thought the one time that they had george hill pop they actually got some really nice stuff for that so i think going to more pick and pops there would be good you might even uh, it's really too bad that they don't have any other pick and roll ball handlers on this team that really scare you because it would be nice if they could involve love when he's the five man and whoever darren collison is guarding have him try to attack in pick and roll with love and then if you switch that now you've got a really small guy on love uh, although they've done a pretty good job of switching behind the play to take those away again you know cleveland's lack of an offensive system kind of makes it difficult because you know there's always stagnancy and then they try to get the match up and you there's plenty of time to get back into position behind the play but it's very obvious that they miss kyrie irving a ton offensively to have that reliable second initiator who now uh, can attack off the dribble either in isolation or get a switch someone to involve miles Turner. i think when miles turner is out there having him try to guard a pick and pop with jr smith could be very difficult right if he's guarding smith if he's guarding hill so trying to involve him in pick and roll just like you normally would in a pick and roll get their slowest guy involved let lebron go at him downhill if they're going to play a conventional pick and roll defense style those are things that that would occur to me but i think trying to get love a good mismatch uh, is definitely something they could look at because Indiana has done a great job of taking away a lot of their pet sets. Like they, they'll try to get LeBron at the elbow, have whoever the point guard is go screen for love out of the corner to get to the block. And just Indiana's all over a lot of their pet sets at, at this point. Um, you know, I think they've gotten enough. From LeBron, I also would say for LeBron, it rather just have him. If you're gonna try and throw it to him in an ISO, just have him just dribble into that ISO instead of, and then more in transition as well. I think it is huge, and they also they could really hurt Indiana on the offensive glass, and they just haven't done that. Indiana is not a fantastic transition team here towards the end of the year, and so you know I would think giving Tristan a a little bit of a look could be something. Also, a little more switchability defensively could be something, but. I don't even know what kind of shape Tristan is in it at this point, especially after he missed a practice due to uh, the birth of his child so i don't know that, that's what i got i mean it's not amazing and then obviously you know not playing nance and green together maybe osman c- could get a look uh i thought rodney hood was solid he was really the only other guy who provided any kind of off the dribble scoring for them in, in this game mostly on uh mid-range twos but it, he, he can give them a little bit of a look but he's not really good enough defensively he doesn't play with enough force as well so it's just this is a very limited team and they have a lot of guys on this team who are nba players but i don't know if they have a lot of guys on this team who are playoff quality two-way players
1: that's certainly a fair point point. and if
0: they you know if they had the jr smith from two years ago the one who would you know periodically put up like these six three-pointer games in the playoffs and be on fire and give you a little bit more defensively they might be a little better, bit better off but again smith is uh you know he's older now and uh they just don't necessarily have the horses how do you feel about the ultimate outcome of the series what do you think's gonna happen
1: i still feel like cleveland's going to win i am far 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 less confident in it than I was at the beginning of the series because the Pacers have been played really well and if you watch just these three games I think you can make a very fair case that Indiana should be the favorite but we have more information than that I'm going to use that information and some would say the Pacers got a rough whistle for a portion of this game I actually agreed with most of those calls but I mean LeBron James is still unbelievable and Bogdanovich has done Yeoman's work against him but and and he already had LeBron has already had one just truly incandescent game and you know an- i think he's done well outside of that but i feel like that's gonna go there but do you agree with me that it's still i i, I think i said on the show during the la, during the second game that we covered that i had it about 55 45 for the Cavs, but i don't feel great about that i just, I just trust them at this point a little bit so more.
0: basically what you're saying is you think there's at least a 50 percent chance that the Cavs win game four
1: pretty much yeah
0: yeah i think so i mean i'm not ready to pronounced the Cavs dead yet but this is already in this series the only other time that they have lost two games in an eastern conference series since lebron's return number one was 2015 against the bulls when they also trailed 2-1 after derrick rose hit that bank shot and then you'll remember like they're looking they're looking about like they look now actually remember irving was struggling kind of in and out of the lineup love was out for the year uh and seemed like they're getting outplayed by the bulls and then lebron hits that shot over jimmy butler to win game four and then they beat him down in game five and game six so that outcome is still totally in play and for the pacers again you mentioned this if they want to win the series they need to win on sunday in game four uh all right we'll get to the rest of no not sunday's friday's action After this from our friends at Indochino, they are the largest custom apparel company. Think about that, the largest one. Suits and shirts made to your exact measurements for a great fit. You can go into one of their many North American showrooms. They're expanding all the time. They're really in a lot of the major NBA cities. In in fact, uh, they're going to do... The suits for my groomsmen, and all of them happen to live in a city where there's an Indochino showroom. Or you can do your measurements on yourself and then submit them. They have a guide online of exactly how it is to do that. And now you don't have to choose from just a couple of options. You can customize everything. They have hundreds of fabrics they have a bunch of different ways that you can line the jacket different size lapels a monogram single breasted double breasted if you're old school the way to get started with them is indochino.com promo code capspace that easy to remember that capspace code talk about all the time here on the program that'll get you any premium indochino suit for just 379 dollars and shipping is free once again that's indochino.com promo code capspace to get any premium suit for just 379 dollars plus free shipping with that cap space code that lets them know that you came from us. Let's turn now to Milwaukee, and (laughs) you said it on the show, why it is that this series seems to be all about the way that the Bucs play.
1: I have a stat that I think frames this game pretty well. The Boston Celtics attempted 40, or sorry, 80 shots from the field in this game. They also had 28 free throws. We'll talk about that at some point. Of those 80 field goal attempts, 76 were counted as contested by the NBA's tracking data. I've never seen a proportion like that and then the bucks also had nine deflections and they recovered majority of the loose balls and all that kind of stuff this this was the the closest we have seen that I can think of to what the bucks could be defensively in a series with this kind of magnitude
0: yeah a few more stats from the first half when Milwaukee led at 35 45 possessions so not a fast half at all bucks 130 offensive rating 78. For Boston, and they started scoring late in the second. Their Boston turned it over on thirty-one percent of their possessions and had a forty percent true shooting. They did get thirty-six percent offensive rebounds, but even when they got the offensive rebounds, sometimes they get fouled. But then a lot of times they just get blocked again. And to me, there are a lot of offensive stars in this game for the Bucs. A lot of guys played better defensively, but. The return playoff maker was back.
1: He was credited with five blocks, but it felt like it could have been more than that. I think he had one on out on Al Horford in the second half that I'm surprised wasn't counted. And he affected so many shots when he was out there, and it was hilarious because other than defensive rebounding, Thon Maker was doing everything you would want defensively. He was switching. He was doing a nice job on whoever was guarding him, and then he had a a couple of just absolutely masterful recovery blocks. One on Jason Tatum, that was fabulous. One on Greg Monroe, that was really, really nice. And when Tyler Zeller was playing in the early games of the series, Tyler Zeller also started this game and played 19 minutes. I was kind of sitting there so uninspired by Zeller saying, well, I mean... This is a statement of how bad Thon has been this year, that it's not just like screaming out that he should play, but this is exactly what we kind of hope.
0: Yeah, this is why we're so high on him, of course, after that series against the Raptors. I mean, and he came out, he had five blocks, I think, in like the first like five minutes that he played. He was just sprinting the floor. He was materializing out of nowhere. He served notice on a block of Jalen Brown right away. And then they tried to attack him in switches. He recovered, blocked those shots. Uh, he just moved so quickly. And both in conventional pick and roll defense, they definitely switched some. It, I was trying to get the rhyme reason to like why, you know, what the rules were for when they were going to switch everything. I think it was mostly when they went with a lineup that was pretty like-sized. You know, they didn't have Del Vidova on the floor. They had Jabari. They had Giannis. They had Thon all out there. M middleton bledsoe is a a good switch guy like that was one lineup where it looked like they switched everything they might have even only been switching specific plays that were called as well sometimes we'll see teams do that like when the heat runs their cyclone set where they set a back screen uh for a big with a shooter and then pop that that shooter off another screen they're supposed to switch everything philly is uh that was highlighted on cleaning the glass but for the Bucks, the energy was just so off the charts. Bledsoe brought it really. He was pushing it in transition. He had 17 points in 27 minutes. Um, and then also just having Thon Maker, the center for the Bucks, pick and pop or stand outside the three-point line. He was three of four on three-pointers. And he finished with 14 points. Got to the foul line for five of seven as well. And then, you know, those six blocks that he had were, were really awesome. And then give you some stats for the first half on Boston shooting. Wow, this is amazing breakdown, right? We only had to take three mid-range shots. We're getting the exact shots we want, right? Well, when you go eight out of twenty-five in the paint and three out of eleven from three, doesn't matter where you're getting the shots from. And they 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 got to the foul line a fair amount in that first half. In fact, they scored more points from the foul line than from the field in the first quarter. I think they only had what two field goals in the first quarter, something like that, Danny.
1: Yeah, it was two or three, and it was Tatum and Horford early, and I think they might have gotten one at the very end of the quarter and remember early on in this game eric bledsoe had foul trouble he was out for a
0: lot yeah, of the first delhi came and in came he back he was i like thought delhi when he came and in and did well that he he hit a pick and pop three they've had it still continue to have success with him as the screener and yet another guy who just upped the intensity level and i think for a young team playing at home with the crowd behind them that seemed to just make a massive difference
1: well and and the way that they interacted with the crowd i mean thawne Giannis, eric bledsoe they were exhorting the crowd basically every chance they they could which was pretty cool to see and also the effort level went into everybody on the team this was some of the best defense i've ever seen jabari parker play yes that doesn't mean he was perfect but he was getting his body into guys he was contesting a little bit better there were some communication issues but i thought overall he he did a pretty good job and middleton was dominant offensively again i mean i just had i've had to recalibrate my feelings about mid-range jumpers with him because he hit 51 for of long twos for a season and and look as good doing it as he does, okay, you can just take more of those I shots. mean, and
0: he, especially in this series, like, basically, uh, he's been able to create the space, and his shot chart in this game in which he was 10 out of 17 three of six from three seven of nine from mid-range and this is not a Dwayne Wade seven of nine he's not going to do this again this was Chris Middleton as you mentioned I mean he's those mid-range shots are all off the dribble contested plays and I think you know you really have to start potentially thinking about getting more size on him but if you're going to switch a lot if you're Boston you know maybe Jalen Brown maybe Jason Tatum are the guys who can guard him even Marcus Morris Middleton was able to create space on Marcus Morris is a pretty strong defender Middleton was 0 of 2 at the rim uh, ironically enough Uh, those were uh, two of his six misses on the evening and and we haven't even mentioned Giannis's name yet either he only had to play 27 minutes in this one he got into foul trouble in the second half but even in the second half it was a 23 point game they got it down to 14 they're a little worried I think Giannis got into foul trouble and then they just managed to push the lead back up again and, and it was never really in doubt and then Parker he got a lot of plays around the rim and defensively just the difference in him actually trying is just so massive of just like oh i'm 250 pounds so i'm not gonna let you just go through me this time i'm gonna actually like be strong on marcus morris and not let him run me over he still had one play that was frustrating at the rim where he just like jumped out of the way and followed the guy he's still a terrible rim protector but at least to be able to switch was yeah that was
1: greg monroe oh it was so bad Uh,
0: but but yeah he
1: he he jumped he jumped like it was the strangest thing because he was actually in better position when he started the play than when he finished the play (laughs) and made no and made no impact from point a to point b it was because he because as you said he wanted a diagonal I, I re-watched that play a couple times it just went what the hell was the thought process there like was he thinking craig monroe was gonna like shoot behind the basket or something i i don't understand
0: the one buck that i thought played poorly was brogdon uh he was two for eight and i thought that he just played pretty selfishly you know there are a lot of passes that he missed a lot of plays where he just wouldn't he didn't have anything and just wouldn't get off the ball you know just wouldn't reverse the ball find someone else find one of the their better playmakers you know he, he threw up a couple of bad shots you know i think he they did start him over snell and that obviously seemed to work pretty well snell didn't ended up with 22 minutes but a lot of that was towards the end he hit a big three towards the end of the first but it was uh, not the greatest game for Brogdon. You know, I'm not sure, like, he was important for them in game one. He could play better than this, but the, the not moving the ball was a little bit of a concern for me. And then another issue for Boston was Terry Rozier really struggled. He had five turnovers and failed to score in the first half. Actually ended up with nine assists ultimately, you know, a lot of that taking place in the second half. Jalen Brown only had 11 points. He wasn't really able to get going. Tatum. You know, they weren't really able to get the ball in the hands of their scorers and they went to a lot of greg Monroe trying to post up offensive rebounding uh from baines and Monroe, who combined for 11 offensive rebounds but they really those two guys are kind of limited finishers and with the bucks flying around like this the offensive rebounds didn't hurt them enough and then in transition with the bucks shooting while well, they were 16 out of 33 from three and actually getting up 33 three-point attempts it is a huge thing for this bucks team when you know they've usually been pretty low in this series what do you got going forward here unless you wanted to address what i just said
1: i didn't need to address that but something that relates to it to a point is i thought the bucks were very physical with al horford and i'm sure celtics fans saw that as fouls that should have been called more frequently and a game with a tighter whistle would definitely benefit the celtics if the bucks are playing this way if they're playing a different way maybe maybe not because it it can be a very different game but i thought horford just he had trouble getting into that equilibrium arguably because he was getting fouled all the time and the Celtics, why we've said this is a series that is, is built around what Milwaukee does is if if Milwaukee plays the way they did in this game, sure, guys can hit more shots. You know, Rozier missed a couple that, that could absolutely go in. Aaron Payne's made two threes, including, I believe, at least one of those was above the break, but I don't have too many adjustments that they can really make other than, I would say, not going big as much because even though they were getting all these offensive rebounds, they weren't really converting those into as many second chance points as you would think other than what when they got to the line on the second chance points Monroe did that a few times
0: yeah and they were able to hurt them in the post that wasn't as much the case in this game when switches did occur the Bucks were flying around enough that they couldn't just back right in for a layup and I thought the other thing was the Bucks defense they prevented the blender from even starting they prevented the Celtics from reversing the ball very much they prevented guys just flying out of the corner unimpeded on DHOs getting middle uh they only allowed 24 three-point attempts which is an impressively low number Boston likes to take a lot of these and that's just because the Bucks, whether they're switching whether they're recovering back a little bit more you, you mentioned how they're just flying at guys and contesting forcing drives and then using their length to prevent finishes at the rim they just couldn't get those three-pointers off. And I think that's one of the most encouraging numbers. And we expected that the Celtics team should struggle to score. They scored better in the second half, but the Bucs scored even better than the Celtics did in the second half. So that's whether the Bucs can bring this level of defensive intensity in Game 4 is going to be huge, right? I mean, we, they totally throttled the Raptors in similar fashion in Game 3 last year, actually took a 2-1 lead, you'll recall, and then laid a total dud in Game 4. So if they can maintain this level of energy, and I'm not sure that any team can quite at this level, but they're the more talented team and they should be able to score well enough that Aaron Baines and offensive rebounds and Greg Monroe in the post and Terry Rozier, they kept him off the the three-point line pretty well. You know, if... A couple of rookies and Tatum and Brown, like, they should be able to stop this team, and tonight they did.
1: Anything else here? Do you want to move on to the middle game of the night, Wizards-Raptors?
0: Yeah, this one was a 122-103 Washington win, and as john wall goes so seem to go the wizards and he was awesome in this one the big stat for me in this was that the raptors just got the ball run down their throat by the wizards they gave up 53 percent transition opportunities off of live rebounds and 80 off of steals But that 53 percent off of live rebounds that is a huge number and the raps got to do a better job of getting back and wall in the first two games, he had 53 drives on the half court, but it was only 9 out of 21 on those plays. And remember, these are shot plays where he's getting to the rim and he only had eight assists uh, on drives in the half court um for shooting he's only one out of seven for mid-range in the first two games well this game six of eight at the rim two of three from floater zone which generally is not at all his forte and then four out of eight from mid-range and so when wall can be a threat on those plays teams are going to take away his drive sometimes make him shoot that mid-ranger if he can make 50 percent of those or even 45 percent of those uh, the Wiz have a great chance to, to win and so it was really the defense that failed toronto tonight i thought particularly in transition
1: yeah i would agree with that and something that i found strange about this game is that there were a few confrontations there was the one early with Markeith morris and og Ananobi, and then the later one which led to three technicals that started with beal and Valanciunas, and then ended up with wall and nabaka but other than Yamahimi just picking up four fouls in 10 minutes this wasn't to me a particularly physical game it just had those weird confrontation points and that does kind of go in line with some of the stuff with the wizards periodically but i I thought john wall was getting to his spots more and i think that's the big part and that ties in with physicality because one of the ways you can stop him is just by by chucking him by, by hitting him a little bit and i also thought early on bradley beal really helped set a tone as well he was hitting shots in the first half he was confident and so you had those two guys running together and there are all these parallels to to the blazers i mean these two teams that have their best players their real offensive engines playing the one and the two with each other and i thought this was the best game either of those backcourts has played Played in the six combined that they've had so far the playoffs
0: the raps really trailed at halftime 69 62 after a, a 39 point second quarter from the Wiz. and that was despite 9 of 15 three-point shooting for the raptors and so you knew that that was papering over some real problems for them as well and then the Wiz, you know it wasn't like some ridiculous three-point shooting game yeah they they were 10 out of 23 it's 44 percent but It wasn't an enormous volume. That wasn't the issue. It was just 59% two-point shooting. I thought the other thing that was really important, too, is in the half court, wall was able to hurt toronto guarding the pick and roll two on two in a way that he had not in the first two games particularly gortat he assisted gortat on five layups through three quarters uh that was impressive gortat really got going for the first time in the series with 16 points on eight out of ten i think that his offensive performance can be a nice bellwether for how well that wizard's offense is clicking and you know whether that wall pick and roll is really working he finished with 16 points Wall, we mentioned shot it well finished with 28 and 14 also had four steals which fueled their transition game and it was the the raptors turnovers with 18 turnovers a lot of them were in the first half was a, a huge problem also for them to to fuel that raptor or the uh wizards transition another interesting thing here was no fred van vliet again uh, he played three minutes in game two i don't know whether he aggravated something or you know they just felt like he wasn't going to be active he needed more time to heal based on how he played in game two but the Rapts bench got worked uh it, for the second time in in two games by a wizard's bench that is not exactly star studded
1: it is not and ty lawson in the first half i i focused more my primary and this was the second and third quarters lawson played a lot more than sadaransky but he was better i i thought that he was a little bit more active and I still think Sadoransky is the better player. But I mean, the Wizards bench out, outplayed the Raptors bench pretty significantly in that second quarter. And that was a shock. But it was also a central part in the success because Washington can, you know, the, the Raptors can survive getting beat starters versus starters, but they can't survive getting swung both ways at the same time, just like any other team. Yeah,
0: and Casey was clearly searching. He went to Pirtle in the first half for 10 minutes. He was negative 11. Uh, then he decided, all right, I'm going to go with Bay Bay, negative seven in five minutes and that was part of when it really got broken open they felt like Valanciunas maybe wasn't guarding well enough in the pick and roll and despite all these issues Toronto was within five and then they throw it away Brad Beal gets a fast break clear flagrant foul by Lowry Beal hits one out of two and then drives baseline sets up a corner three for Markeev, puts it up to nine and the Raps really never threatened uh, after that point and, and continued to pour it on they're up 18 before the third quarter was over and that was about it for them um you know Mike Scott continues to play well he was four of four had 12 points on only five shooting possessions that's a pretty damn good game two two on threes Oubre had really his first good game in the series with 12 points in 26 minutes and you know Otto Porter has still been kind of limited Markeith they went away from him he only played 18 minutes most of the way it was Scott getting 28 minutes uh, because he's just been shooting the ball so well and the raps weren't able to put up that type of offensive performance that they were in game two when they put up 130 and controlled the game throughout
1: so typically in these moments we talk about the adjustments the losing team can make and for me toronto just has to be prepared for a game like this to happen you know i thought there wasn't structurally defensively uh, other than maybe preventing john wall from getting to the to the middle as much as he did they just kind of got hit by the perfect storm of a lot of different guys playing well and i wouldn't be overly concerned by it but the Wizards are talented enough to do this one or two more times in a series I just don't expect them to work. you just
0: got to make them play in the half court and it's not like they killed him on the offensive glass Raps only had eight offensive rebounds in this game and so if you're not going to hurt him on the offensive glass you damn well get it better get back and one of the things that's usually good about the Raptors is they've been such a low turnover team over the years that's one of those hidden not making a mistake that can just help your efficiency overall and so if Lowry's going to turn it over five times to Rose. Is a good low turnover guy. He turned it over three. Ibaka had three turnovers, and he was totally shut down in this one. He played well in the first two games, but so only had three points in twenty nine minutes. So if they can avoid the turnovers and get back on defense, I think that they can win game four. If they don't, then they're going to continue to struggle because John Wall is going to run it down their throats. And for Wall, he is starting to play better in this series, and he was by far the best player on the floor tonight. And if that's going to be the case, then Washington is going to win games.
1: Yeah, and so. I'm excited to see on Sunday where this series turns because the the Wizards are full of false starts, but we I don't think either of us has ever fully trusted the Raptors. So could go in some different directions. I I still think the most likely outcome is that the Raptors win game four, but Washington can play like this again. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: and remember, it, one more win for Washington and all of a sudden it's, oh shit, here we go again. At least a six game series, one versus eight in the first round for the Raptors. And I think Van Vliet's status is going to be key. Can he come back in, give them some minutes on wall, push the ball? I mean, he, this is a guy who's closing games for them, and he certainly can do that in this series with the lack of wing threats for the Wiz and pascal siakam really has been a non-factor in this series they've gotten to more he played 26 minutes in this one i thought he was good he's hitting his three pointers in this series had 12 points if we get down to the end of a close game in this series is it going to be a bucket center og at the four can van vliet come back and play delon wright uh the bloom was off the roads for him today he was negative 15 and 19 minutes and uh lawson has been a little bit of a a breath of fresh air i'm very interested to see what ends up happening here and and i guess the other thing you could say for the raptors too is you know if they can't get minutes especially out of the DeRozan plus bench unit less so than the lowry plus bench unit which you know he's kind of taken the place of van vliet in those units that's going to be really interesting as well. How do they do with DeRosa on the floor, but no Lowry? That was a problem. That's been a problem for them in past years, less so this year, what ends up happening. So yeah, this Sunday will be the first game in the series I'm like really fired up to see and uh, can't wait for that one. Let's move on now to Thursday night's games. As mentioned, we're doing this new format here, which I think we'll probably stick with For the playoffs of getting both thursday and friday's games especially since thursday's games weren't amazing on a friday night episode so hopefully you're can enjoy this while you're mowing the lawn or doing the dishes or cleaning the house or whatever uh unpleasant weekend tasks might await you but uh let's talk first uh, about the miami philly game 128-108 uh, in this one and it really started with Philly's unbelievable three-point shooting but ended with them holding the Heat to only 14 fourth quarter points.
1: Yeah, this was a game that had a lot of different facets to it and it makes sense considering it was longer than most movies that it would be have those kinds of twists and turns and I was intrigued by how intense a lot of this was. Joel Embiid's return to the series playing with a face mask led to a couple of different things. I thought that Miami was being physical with him not you know dirty or anything like that they were being physical with him but then all over the floor I think the, the biggest incident like that in this game was Justin Anderson and Dwayne Wade going at it and both those guys Wade pulled Justin Anderson's arm I didn't love that and then Anderson it looked to us like he took a swing and those guys got double technicals and that seemed like a little bit of a light punishment but that ended up being only one of the three sets of double technicals in this game
0: yeah and I wouldn't be usually want to lead with the but since you mentioned it especially in the third quarter the free throw situation got completely out of control there were a total of 56 fouls called in this game and I thought that it was mostly legitimate calls in the first two quarters and then in the third it got really touchy and usually it always seems to be the third quarter that that'll happen in a physical game because you know the refs go into the locker room and they're like okay we gotta keep control of this guys we can't let this get out of control and so like Joel Embiid in particular like Whiteside's fourth foul I didn't see anything there at all on those drives that was a no hope drive Josh Richardson somehow got a blocking foul on an Embiid drive where it just it did absolutely nothing to him other than cut him off with his chest um and i thought it and beat obviously that was the big headliner his return he played 30 minutes uh, what did you think uh, of his performance uh, with 23 points 10 of 15 from the foul line, 5 of 11 from the field, and three blocked shots.
1: Offensively, he got to the line well. We talked that some of that in the second half was fueled by some shaky calls, but he got gassed pretty quickly in the, I think that was the yeah. third quarter or late in the it, second. When it, it was in. odd,
0: yeah. In the third quarter, when he came back in for his stint late in the third, early in the fourth, he was like exhausted almost immediately after like two possessions up and down the floor, like the one where he like got ISOed. On the wing, I can't remember who it was against and I had to just throw up a really difficult shot. It was a yeah. yeah, it, it was lit, late in the clock. And then they took him out and he came back in and he played with just a ton of energy. And I mean, what he does for their defense and what separates him... From all these other big guys who probably have pretty similar physical tools to, to him, at like a white side or the white side's not as quick laterally, or a JaVale McGee or got, like there's there are seven footers who are close to having his level of physical tools, but he just has incredible recognition. There's one play that we tweeted out where. I, I think he was guarding olenek olenek dribbled all the way across the lane and then handed off to wade cutting into the lane and bead seamlessly switches onto wade forces a, an impossible shot there there's just uh, other plays where guys will go back door and beat has got his head on a swivel he sees it he's all over it to knock it down and trying to really go up over him at the rim and score is a very very difficult task i, I would say even more so like when he's in position he's probably even more effective than gobert i still think think gobert has a little bit more mobility than he does uh uh, but it's still and a little bit more ability to make second effort plays but he was just outstanding in this one and had miami not shot 16 out of 33 on threes and they were over 50 percent for much of the way you know they would have really been shut down because uh, they got nothing in the paint i think they had like you know, 15 shots through three quarters uh, at the rim and, and did not shoot a good percentage.
1: Outside of the fatigue, the only other big critique that I would levy at Embiid was that I thought he settled too much for bad position offensively. He would catch the ball, you know, deep, two range and then try to drive and driving is not the best part of Joel Embiid's offensive game he settled for jump shots early as well they didn't fall early but they fell late he had a couple of big threes that helped build the lead that Philly ended up getting at the end of this game to make it look this game was a lot closer for most of it than the 20 point margin it ended at but he certainly made a difference and one of the other ways that Embiid is so important and this is true of most good players in the league is that it reduced the strain on the players who replaced him Brett Brown got to use Ersan Ilyasova, Amir John Johnson and then Rashawn Holmes was totally marginalized in this game didn't even play they he was able to use those guys more sparingly and I, I thought it really did help them and I thought they got better minutes from Amir Johnson in particular than than they did in the first two games
0: yeah Johnson uh, had a, a nice cut uh, where, where he went back door and it was a beautiful behind the back pass to him for from Radek when Kylie Linick totally lost him oh I wanted to update that stat I looked at it Miami was 6 of 18 at the rim for the game and now that's a little misleading because especially in the first half they got they earned a lot of fouls by driving to the rim uh you know those were legitimate calls it wasn't just like some touch foul on the perimeter uh but then and i thought that was a huge key to philly finally blowing them out in the fourth quarter was they finally somebody could stop fouling in this game miami still was unable to do so uh it was yeah
1: well and that that's a good lead in that's a good lead into the thing that i thought was the story of the first half which was justice winslow winslow was actually the free throw attempt leader for the miami heat he was seven of eight from the line just in the first half and it ended that with 19 points and he also made four or five threes it was the most confident i can recall seeing winslow offensively he had a, a nice little stretch previously where he had the ball in his hands a lot more due to injuries and did a nice job but i thought he was getting into a space and his fouls were completely legitimate getting to a spot i thought they were unnecessary by philly but they were yeah, and,
0: and markel fultz committed a couple of those his transition defense was bad um the spacing wasn't good they went to mcconnell in the second half i that was part of when they began to take controls when they had mcconnell in there so I i think i probably would go with mcconnell uh in the future mcconnell was plus seven fultz was negative nine in uh five and four minutes respectively um dwayne wade crashed back to earth shockingly enough uh, on uh his long twos he ended up playing 25 minutes but was only two out of ten to get to the foul line four times and, and have five assists four turnovers two for wade and obviously i think there's still having him beat in there was a, a little bit of a problem for him but mostly it was just he wasn't hitting those same ridiculous long two-point jumpers that he had hit in game two not a surprise because on off the dribble twos he was 32 percent uh from the field th- this year or off the dribble long twos I-, I should say um on winslow four of six on threes and he hit four in the first half and then was oh of five on two pointers all of those missed shots around the rim he also just had two ridiculous blocks like one was Covington trying to dunk on him he blocked that he blocked an Embiid hook which was a great sequence and then Embiid blocked his jumper at the other end and those guys were uh talking to each other back and forth um But I think it's got to be disheartening for Miami to shoot 16 out of 33 on threes. And not only do you lose, but the other team shot even better, 18 out of 34 on three-pointers. That's the second game in this series that the Sixers have shot over 50% from three. Uh, And then, of course, they had that one game, too, where they're 7 out of 36. Uh, But obviously if the Sixers continue to shoot this well they won't be losing many more games in this series
1: also Miami got a nice game from Goran Dragic I think it was the third quarter when he really took over but Dragic ended the game with 23 points on 8 of 13 from the field 6 of 7 from the line 8 assists and no turnovers I thought he he really did have put his imprint on it I think that was yeah the yeah. Third he was beating up and Covington
0: and... he was beat he's beating up whoever had oh, yeah. like, creating the separation really well either out of pick and roll or even in, in some isos
1: and so it certainly encouraged for miami to see that but to get good games from a lot of different players and and not come out on top and i thought ben simmons was up and down definitely better than game two he had one of the best highlights i've seen from him this year which is high praise considering it that behind the back pass he did the behind the back dribble to himself where it had to be really tight on his body because if it was any wider it would have been stripped because there were three guys around him and he got to the basket i think it was a lefty finish on that one and he was not as out of sorts justice winslow they, they tried some pressure stuff but I think Philly had, they had a few little wrinkles to get that pressure off early. They would inbound the ball to somebody else and let Simmons run up the court, all that. And Winslow was shouldering a much heavier offensive burden because he was doing so well. And so I thought that might have also been a little bit of a, a part of why that was happening. And Dario Scharch, I we did this game for the Twitter NBA show. I was frustrated with a lot of his defense early in the game, but then he really came on, especially offensively, hit some big shots late. And that is really one of the other stories of this series is Philadelphia getting these offensive contributions from surprising places. This was another big game for Marco Bellinelli, 4 of 8 from 3, 21 points plus 20. Sharich ended up plus 10, had some good game, had some good moments too. And then as you mentioned, McConnell doing much better than Fultz in his minutes too.
0: Losing a game to Marco Bellinelli has got to be really frustrating. <laughs> um and, and with Embiid out there, they're able to paper over some of Bellinelli's defensive weaknesses which certainly says he's not a great communicator obviously not a great one-on-one defender but when you score 21 points on 14 shooting possessions it's a lot easier to deal with that and ironically that 18 out of 34 one of those was a heave from simmons uh, and then reddick was one out of five everyone else uh was also. Awesome i can't remember the last time you would have thought that uh marco bellinelli would actually play more minutes than jj reddick but but that's where we were um the sixers also really hurt by covington's foul trouble in the third quarter that helped keep the heat in it uh, as well uh when he returned uh, and they really got separation they had essentially their starting unit out there against a lot of miami's backups in in part due to covington's foul trouble um the matchups down the end were pretty interesting with the and james johnson the sixers elected to actually have have Embiid guard James Johnson because Olenek is so much more of a shooting force they put Sharic on Olenek that seemed to work relatively well uh Johnson is he'll shoot judiciously on threes but he's not really a comfortable guy to just bomb them he was two out of three but you know he's not going to get up eight three-point attempts in a game it's just not kind of how he plays and then it's on Whiteside uh four fouls 13 minutes negative three five points one field goal attempt
1: and this was his best chance so far, being the Sixers played quote-unquote traditional centers a larger portion of the time, Arison the, er- Ilyusova had a smaller role, and... White side. Well, at least one of his fouls was pretty dubious. He just didn't really have a place to be. And something that has bothered me about Whiteside for such a long time is just that there's a lack of versatility to his offensive game. And so I think the Sixers, including Ben Simmons, had a beautiful strip on Whiteside. That there just isn't that much that he does. So if he gets the ball in the post, you know, he can he can turn over either shoulder, but can't really do a lot off the dribble. Not not a ton of like real shake to it to it. And so when the ball gets input to us on Whiteside, I think that the Sixers breathe a sigh of relief for the most part he'll hit a couple of shots sometimes but miami has been better offensively generally speaking in the series than i expected so his game doesn't help as much on that and then defensively the sixers have done a great job of taking him out of what he likes to do. yeah
0: well when the sixers are this hot from three it's you you can't play him because you know they're going to run reddick's man off a screen by his man you know he doesn't have the versatility to get out on the floor and he also hasn't had as much of an effect at the basket blocking shots uh, or finishing around the rim and part of that could be due to that hip injury that he's recovering from he really has been head nagging injuries all season so we haven't just seen the athletic plays that we saw from even you know usually you could count on hit those from him even if he was going to make mistakes and not get out a- away from the rim but remember he missed a bunch of time with uh, that hip injury just recently and I think it was just before that injury that he had that dominant performance against impede in the beginning of March and so I, I don't think he's quite looked the same since then and then you know he had some comments which i thought did him a disservice because they kind of got spliced a little bit after the game where he said you know coach wants me to stand in the corner and set picks um but then you know and that's the part that was repeated as opposed to the end of it where he said you know i trust coach and you know so they're always now he's gonna get asked about this stuff and see whether he responds or not but but uh, he doing the full context of what he was talking about I think was important there um so so where can Miami go from here now um with Embiid having returned oh oh one other thing I want to talk about from the game first I thought that the Sixers pick and roll coverage didn't really make a ton of sense to me uh especially late in the second when they couldn't get a stop they had Embiid way out on the floor almost not quite trapped but at least like you know very aggressive drop coverage uh getting him right up to the level of the ball against guys who really were not like threatening off the dribble three-point shooters i mean i said on the on the turn show like did they suddenly sign steph curry and i missed it because they would have him beat way out on the floor and then miami was doing a nice job of getting off the ball they hit white side on a roll one time they had a double team of wade where he still was able to get to the baseline and get white side for an alley oop uh they had another play where they're able to move the ball and get an Linux three on the weak side because there's so much help was forced and I just wondered why with Joel Embiid as such a great rim protector and Miami's ball handlers not like so threatening to hit a three off the pick and roll like why they would have him so aggressively out there um so it,
1: and especially in a game 3, yeah. like they know what these players are. It's you know maybe seeing it in the abstract or something like that and <laughs> the general dynamics of this series. If Philly makes it through and it's only a 2-1, so certainly Miami can come back. The process of the decision making on that pick and roll coverage is problematic because the next team they face, considering the Celtics don't have Kyrie and all these other options or you know or, or if it's the Bucks if they can if they can come all the way back, that they're going to they can be more conservative and be really Successful considering the defensive talent and the size that Philadelphia plays with.
0: Yeah, I also didn't think it made a ton of sense because Embiid was clearly his conditioning was not there yet. Uh, coming back, I, I mean, I, I don't think I don't know how much working out he really was able to do before this game because he was in the concussion protocol. He had this surgery. I don't really I don't know if he was able to really like ramp up his cardio for very long before this. uh Still, really impressive that he was able to have the impact that he could uh, coming back like this in, in his first game back when he clearly was kind of winded but why go to a higher energy scheme that's going to tire him out more there but anyway it it all seemed to work out they they got their stops at the end but so you mentioned oh you know miami's not dead they could come back i mean i've always maintained if you're the road team if you're gonna have a good chance to win the series you damn well better be up three one after your two Two home games because the statistics, especially in the first round, of the road team being tied two-two after four games are really bad. You know, and especially when you just consider that a game seven at home is an eighty percent proposition for the home team. So you really you better be on pace to end it in game six at home, and and counting on winning a game five on the road. You know, that's pretty tough too. So I think it's easier to get a win in one of those first two games and then hopefully hold serve at home. But now, you know, I think I. I would favor Philly in this next game, especially with Embiid back now. And I think if I had to make a prediction, I would say five here.
1: Yeah, I would say five as well. But Miami, with the way they, especially they defended in Game Two, they could go in there. And you, we were talking about adjustments before we got into the pick and roll stuff. And I still want to see more Wayne Ellington in this series. He provides a value as a shooter and an, uh, uh, somebody that Philadelphia has to pay attention to on every possession that a lot of Miami's other players aren't doing. And it's not like they have in this game, like they. Defended Philly so well, and yes, a lot of that was three-point shooting luck, we could call it. And I'd like to see more Ellington. I just think he's more capable. A little bit less Dwayne Wade, unless he's really on and he has so much equity with the team. I I understand why that's more complicated. And I was Tyler Johnson. It was shocking to see him stay on the floor in the first quarter. It looks like his hand was pretty messed up, but he stayed on. But then he only ended up playing 17 minutes. And after that crazy stretch where he actually hit a couple shots after the injury, he didn't really do as much damage later on.
0: I think that the best. Lineup right now for the Heat is Dragic, Richardson, Winslow, James Johnson, Olenich. That's what, probably what I would go to. And, and it was mysterious to me, although he had like some modicum of foul troll, but ended, of course, with three fouls. Dragic had 23 points in 27 minutes. 27 minutes is nowhere near enough for Dragic when he's going well like that. And Wade played 25. And basically, and I think this is right for Spo to stagger Wade and Dragic, but you know Dragic was going. Going way better than Wade, and Wade was going better than Dragic in Game Two. I, I get that, but Dragic is better than Wade overall. Dragic like made the All Star team. Let's not forget that he shouldn't have, but he did. Uh, he's way above Dwayne Wade as a player right now, and I don't think defensively you can really get away with playing those two guys together, especially with the amount with Philly with Bellinelli and Reddick running off the ball. You know Wade is going to really struggle dealing with with some of that. He can get tired out that way. You know, Ellington has not really had that great of a series uh, to me. I think. I still maintain that the only way for the Heat to win this series is to win it defensively. You know, I don't think that they can outscore Philly. Uh, they just don't have the level of shooting. Uh, they don't have the creators like Philly does. They don't have the transition game. Uh, I think they really need to grind it out, make it a war, and that would be my strategy more than that. I mean, and it's just, it's, it's going to be crazy if Wade resigns, and then you know, maybe he'll retire after this. Who knows? But if Wade resigns and then waiters is back next year i mean you have to imagine ellington they probably wouldn't come back in that scenario though i I think they kind of need him especially in the regular season so yeah i I think it's more more defensive lineups uh, although you know the plus minus numbers are not great olenic was negative 20 winslow was negative 27 in this game despite what i thought was a a pretty good performance johnson was negative 19 so a lot of the guys that i wanted out there were were pretty negative uh, in that game uh, on thursday night
1: so there were two other games which seemingly both started before Sixers heat ended because that game took a lifetime and a half which of those two do you want to start with
0: let's do New Orleans and Portland it it was a dominating 119-102 win for the Pels it was not that close it got up to 30 and in the third quarter the Blazers made a little bit of a comeback in garbage time the Pels just completely overwhelmed the Blazers it it really was uh, a total disaster for them them uh, the three-point shooting especially from the Pels uh, was fantastic early on Miritich uh, although he wasn't only doing it from the three-point line he was four out of six he had 30 points but then he also was getting inside for some slips some cuts he had a nice drive to the rim uh, as well I think uh, on Ed Davis and uh, um, but it, and it got to the point he hit those early shots where the Blazers were just totally overreacting to his pump fakes when they were kind of there anyway like Zach Collins ended up getting a foul 30 feet from the rim on a pump fake and and while nico has been shooting the ball well and you have to react to him to some degree it's uh Going in a pump fake thirty feet from the basket is a little much.
1: Yeah, it was a a very impressive performance from Mirtich. Again, I thought he did a nice job defensively for the third consecutive game in the series, and and also to me this was the best of the Anthony Davis games so far. He there was this sequence, which a lot of it was Rondo as well. In the second quarter, the Blazers were getting a little bit closer. I think it was at that point it might have even gotten to single digits. It was was around that range, and then Rondo hit AD for two alley-oops in, I think it was less than a he, minute. He threw one of and those from def-
0: half court. It was awesome. Like, like a, was uh, AD sort of like, you know kind of half posted up at the elbow uh, against ed davis and spun and rondo threw it immediately put it right on target and and davis on those oops i mean not only is it how high he can get but it's how quickly he can cover the ground to go get the ball and get separation on those plays
1: and he was more disruptive defensively not that he's been bad at all in the first two games i thought he did a a wonderful job in that way and for the blazers cj McCollum had a better game i thought he was hitting largely tough shots but cj McCollum can hit tough shots that's a that's a part of his mo and Lillard had an another rougher night they did more trapping with him and what I was surprised by most with Lillard was the turnovers he can you know, I never really think of him as that type of you know forcing passes or, or the dribbling mistakes and he's just kind of out of sorts in the series and he's making mistakes that I don't recall seeing from him
0: yeah he was 5 of 14 from the field and I think the biggest problem for Dame has been that his drive game has really been taken away he's not getting to the foul line it was seven of eight in this game but uh a lot of those happened kind of after they had already gone down by quite a bit i didn't think that some of the shots he missed early were bad you know i, th- I thought they were pretty decent shots especially the threes are ones that he's certainly quite capable of hitting but yeah i thought that one play was pretty instructive where he drove to the rim normally would have attempted it but uh ad was right there it might have even been on a play where he was, ad was switched on to him he went a hard right hand drive ad was with him he got another guy came over for some help and he tried to just you know normally that would be a shot that dame lord would take it looked like he had the advantage but ad slowed it down and so he had to improvise and throw this tough pass to the opposite corner that ended up getting intercepted because he couldn't get enough steam on it and those type of plays uh, For Lillard, if he can't get to the rim, or he gets to the rim and he gets all the way underneath, he's not an unbelievable passer from those type of situations. And AD can cover so much ground. That it's really difficult and then of course you know they've continued to <clears throat> put ad onto aminu to try to force aminu to beat them he hasn't been able to do that yet uh but i, I think the ba- greater problem for the blazers is just not being able to stop the pels at all in this game there's supposed to be a good blazers defense and the pels especially rondo i mean he threw some wonderful entry passes some wonderful transition passes i mean no two ways about it. he hit a great game he hit like a deep three as well late in the clock which was a huge shot Um, and AD running the floor is huge too. I mean, his that sprint down the floor, especially on a turnover, he covers ground, and this the effort level that he's been able to bring here in the playoffs. You know, we often talk about Danny well can the great offensive big men really be that good defensively is it possible to exert so much energy offensively and still be great on defense and i think maybe in the playoffs it is because we saw davis have what i thought even in 2015 although they were totally outgunned i thought he had a really nice defensive series in that series as all well, switching out into steph curry you know at a time when stuff was really hard to guard on switches out there he, he did a pretty good job so i think that maybe in a playoff setting it's possible for him to bring that level of energy on both ends he even was pushing hard for the offensive glass as well he had two offensive rebounds but i thought he really was trying for a lot of them as well and he ended up of course with three steals and and two blocks uh 28 points in 35 minutes plus 17 for the game he he was uh the best player on the floor in this one despite the heroics of mirtich and then another big game from drew holiday as well
1: the biggest thing i've got wrong in this series i've gotten a lot of things wrong in a series i predicted portland would win in seven and while that is the only way they can win the series now I, I don't expect that to happen at all New Orleans has substantially outplayed Portland starters versus starters and Mirotic has been a big part of that Drew Holiday playing great defense but really top to bottom New Orleans has executed on both ends of the floor they've, to me they've gotten more easy buckets which has been a little bit surprising because Portland can sometimes generate that just due to the attention that Lillard and McCollum get and the Blazers do not have this amazing bench we did see more of, of Napier because Evan Turner did not play in this game so they had kind of had to shift the balance a little bit and also Harkless went back went back into the starting lineup played 26 minutes yeah he,
0: he wasn't able to do much in this game
1: no he was not but Al Kaminu Aminu did and Aminu the second game in, or in a row in this series where I thought he had a pretty good offensive performance for those who remember he was four or six from three I think all four of those were in the first half of game two then 21 points in this game though it, it didn't seem like he was like in, exerting his will it was more taking advantage of the opportunities that presented itself and what New Orleans so they've done such a wonderful job of understanding Understanding what the Blazers want to do and taking that away and Portland in this series and this was something that was also a challenge for them when they got eliminated by the Warriors the last two years is that they don't really have enough talent outside of those two guys to create to be good counterpunchers because you have to have the personnel to make that happen.
0: It finished with 24 Blazers turnovers. You mentioned the eight from Millard. McCollum, I mean, he had another couple of plays in this game. Like, remember that holiday play where he got stripped him in transition? Where just like, he just got stripped of the ball like dribbling it like you don't see CJ's a really good ball handler like you don't see that happen for me he's a really low turnover player so he had four turnovers lillard had eight i mean when you have that number of turnovers from your best guys and especially when you consider they had a mere five assists combined part of that is because they're getting guys way out on the floor and those guys have to make the pass that leads to the pass a lot of the time but man uh really disappointing series for dame disappointing series for cj even though he had 22 in this one and hit some hard shots uh and and this is this series is maybe another data point to me in just okay you can get by with some things in the regular season but whether I, i mean i think the two things that you just are so limiting in the playoffs is guys who can't make shots and then guys who can't guard shooting, and the Blazers have Yusuf Nurkic, who's been pretty ineffective in this series. He was negative 18 in 20 minutes. They don't really have any kind of other option. I mean, that having to go to Zach Collins down the end to to try and switch, and Collins was awful in this one. He was negative 23 in 12 minutes. Um, you know but if he's your best option as like a fifth guy to switch and get out on the floor against these offenses you know they got Anthony Davis and Nikola Mirotic. like you unless you have the ability to switch or you have a lot of mobility in your bigs you're not going to be able to guard this team and you're especially not going to be able to guard when you turn it over 24 times and, and give up 32 fast break points um, to the Pelicans who quietly were the number one paced team after the all-star break it's uh it's tough I mean they just this roster does not have enough versatility and in the playoffs you just you have to have guys who can do everything and if they can't do everything they better just be so fucking good at the things they do like a Joel Embiid or a Rudy Gobert that they change the game by having them out there even if they have some weaknesses and Yusuf Nurkic Evan Turner in in his games Ed Davis Zach Collins maybe even this version of Mohar goes to played great in a heroic performance in game two the first game back from the surgery aminu if he's not hitting shots there's just too many of these guys who have too many weaknesses and and even damon cj cj doesn't really have the size at the two to be a a switch guy those guys don't make people uncomfortable defensively the blazers have had a good defense but a lot so much of it is just kind of built on principles and system and math and that can be broken by a a team like the pelicans with this level of talent and shooting and it just it's so funny that you know i picked the blazers too i thought they were better during the regular season i thought damon cj would be the second and third best players in the series and none of that has really of course been true but a lot of it is just that this pelicans team is very very difficult to guard
1: one other data point i wanted to mention for for all of this is so during the regular season portland's opponents had the i think it was the 10th lowest proportion of shots at the rim oh no sorry yeah it was fourth lowest proportion it's they were 35.3 percent. so no that's that's actually a little higher than that but also the worst percentage lowest shooting percentage at the rim for this series so far the pelicans are 66 of 96 in the restricted areas that's about 69 which is strong it's significantly above league average but also that 96 number that is a majority of the shots that the new orleans has taken inside the three point arc. so they're getting to the rim a lot Partially due to drill pitchers, partially because John Rondo can throw lobs from half court, and I was skeptical throughout the year that Portland, you know, that that number because it was held from early in the season. That was what, really what was booing Portland's defense, and it held for the year. I was totally wrong on that. But New Orleans puts a different kind of pressure on that, and you could also say, generally speaking, teams in the playoffs have superior personnel to make those decisions and those those paths harder to defend.
0: Last thing on this series, getting back to Rondo, biggest difference from him and the regular season trying a little harder defensively uh, although i i don't think his effort has been superlative there necessarily but getting to the rim and actually attempting to finish and there's never much reason why he couldn't do that physically I mean, he always has, has a great length pretty athletic uh but you know a lot of times when he would get there he would just throw it up you were worried about him maybe uh, being scared of getting fouled but five of eight at the rim for rondo in this game eight shots at the rim, I and mean, he was very aggressive making portland respect his shot on his drives and then once you do that it opens up his passing game a ton i thought he had you know not tough finishes for most guards but for him plays that he usually would eschew or just kind of try and flip it up there really quickly and he really took his time got his body into the defender most of the time it was just another guard you know they weren't they're not going to help with a big there and I thought it was just notable how many of these shots uh for the Pels at the rim as you mentioned with that crazy number just didn't have help there right the Miritich drive from the top where he blew by Ed Davis I mean there's no help there you know it's just and there probably shouldn't be necessarily it's just it's difficult to guard with just a conventional scheme with some of the limited players that the Blazers have and so now I mean you have to imagine that this series will conclude Maybe the Blazers can pull out a miracle and then try to get another one at home. Uh, but. It's looking pretty over and so Pell's Warriors so it will be very interesting and now is a, a time to change to so that game a 110-97 Golden State win uh, obviously a very somber atmosphere at the AT&T Center with uh, the passing of Greg Popovich's wife Erin uh, but it was pretty clear that San Antonio just did not have the firepower offensively and as long as the Warriors hit shots at a reasonable rate uh, San Antonio is not going to be able to keep up with them
1: the Warriors were one for eight from three I believe in the first half and that was really why this game was close and yes san antonio missed threes throughout the game they ended up 7 of 33 but they don't have great personnel in terms of taking those shots you know they can make certainly more of them than 20 percent, but san antonio just doesn't have the horses in this series i thought they the warriors defended marcus aldridge much better in game three than they did in game two they did a, a very good job in game one i think that was probably the best they've done in the series and something that i don't know how much to take from this i'm actually kind of piecing this together in terms of writing a piece for the athletic is kem durant has had a, a kind of an under the radar nice offensive series here he has a 34 percent usage rate which is higher than during the season and more importantly the Warriors are, have a 124 offensive rating during his minutes and San Antonio does not have Kawhi Leonard they do not have perfect defensive personnel a lot of this has been with LaMarcus Aldridge playing center and though he did well at that you know it is a little bit of a different structure for San Antonio and that's all well and good but I don't know how applicable it is moving forward because San Antonio's offensive struggles they're lack of personnel and then of course now everything that they're dealing with as as a franchise as an organization and so you just kind of have to sit there and go okay well this is what it is right now what do we carry from this series in terms of analyzing it for for really either team moving forward
0: yeah and for san antonio i'm probably most disappointed in their defense in this series i, I thought that with the warriors basically scoring at at best a league average rate without steph curry that san antonio a great defense during the regular season would be able to slow them down, in part due to some pretty hot Warriors shooting that hasn't been the case. However, you're right about KD having an unbelievable series in this one. 65% true shooting, 24% defensive rebounds too. The Spurs have not hurt them on the glass in the slightest, and KD is shooting 68% from two-point range in this series, and that includes 71% on Two point jumpers outside the paint. And the only reason why his efficiency has been down a little bit is at 26% from three. So anything that he's getting inside the arc as a jumper is just absolutely automatic. And I think that's one part of his game that mid-ranger has actually improved since his time in OKC, and it's just completely unstoppable now for teams. I mean, whenever he takes that shot, you just assume it's going in. It's really so, so hard to deal with. And then Klay Thompson shooting 65% from three from the series has also helped some. And and you mentioned only the eight three-point attempts in the first half. Well, the Warriors got up 24 in the second half as they, again, really sprinted out. This is a slow-paced game with only 94 possessions they put up a buck 10 on this spurs team but going forward i think this is indicative of how little talent this spurs team has that i mean who are the good two-way players on this team now especially with danny green who really i don't know whether it's the injuries or just age but you know it's not been anywhere near the player that we've come to know in this series during this season I mean, we've been critical of Popovich for not playing him and I think he still needs to play him more because they got to get someone who can shoot and actually pretend to defend Kevin Durant but overall there's young guys who can't shoot like Kyle Anderson and DeJounte Murray or they have guys who are too small and can't really defend or or switch at all like Patty Mills and Bryn Forbes Rudy Gay is you know a, would be an okay sixth man type at this point in his career he's done as much as he can Pau Gasol is too slow you know he's he could play backup center in certain matchups but other than that he, he's not really a great defensive rebounder either so you've got basically LaMarcus and you know, Tony Parker is done pretty much Manu is a 40 year old who again another kind of six man type who can't play that many minutes and if you're Kawhi Leonard this is something that could be perhaps an underrated part of this I mean there's all this stuff with his uncle and his group and also just you know is he actually going to be healthy I mean I think that's still is the number one question overall this is once he's actually healthy and ready to play it then we'll see where we're at right because you know even trading him is out of the question until that point as is probably giving him the extension but i thought this has been a these last two years have been such a massive missed opportunity for the spurs to reload around Kawhi, where they could have had cap space especially going into this summer they could have had a ton of cap space and instead You know, the Aldridge extension has actually probably worked out okay so far. Gasol bringing him back. I mean, I guess they got him to opt out, but maybe you didn't need to give him that player option that he opted out of that you then had to make good on him when you didn't get Chris Paul to begin with uh it's, it's
1: they could also use jonathan simmons in this series
0: yeah i mean i don't think he would have necessarily changed that much but yeah and, and i think he just you know they, they felt like just from a personal standpoint that he didn't they didn't want to offer him that contract he was gonna be upset about being a restricted free agent and he wasn't that good so why potentially mess up the locker room culture um but yeah i mean if you're Kawhi, like and your number one goal is to win a championship it's becoming so hard to see that happening at some point in the future in san antonio and so i think that's going to be a component of this ultimately as well because they have so little flexibility here which they could have had it if they hadn't done all these kind of weird extensions you know the Rudy gay player option for this summer as well he probably opts into that i I would guess you know there's a lot a lot of things where uh they don't want to rely on free agency they kind of got burned going for free agents maybe last summer when they were maybe trying to get chris paul and he didn't they didn't even end up he didn't even end up getting to free agency but yeah it's uh It's not looking good right now for the Spurs franchise and that that really is a shame um and and i thought they could play better in the series the warriors have played better a lot better than i thought they would play uh but obviously the series is now over
1: something that weaves together a couple of those ideas is that the warriors have pretty brazenly not guarded dejounte murray and kyle anderson and that's exactly what could happen in a playoff series we just talked about it with to a different extent with portland new orleans and there's not much other than improving as shooters that can be done to fix that maybe you can play them less and dejounte murray is a one Wonderful defensive player. He can provide a lot of other value. But you're going through that. And also, I think for from the Warriors' perspective, just briefly, Clay Thompson has done a nice job attacking smaller guys. He has sometimes been a little thirsty for a shot when it gets when it's not there, just because I think he feels it has to, you know, it has to come. But then also Kevon Looney played some nice defensive minutes in this game. And basically, he, JaVale McGee, and David West have manned all of the center minutes. Aza Pachulia Jordan Bell have been non-factors in this entire series, and that could be applicable moving forward but not necessarily because now it looks like warriors and pelicans are on a collision course and the constraints of defending new orleans are very very different from defending
0: yeah i think and they went with dream on at center just a little bit i think in game two uh didn't have a ton of success with it although i don't think kd was on the floor during that period maybe he was but yeah so you have to imagine though it's going to have to be draymond at center in the next series kd at the four a, a lot to match up with mirtich and davis i mean so everyone oh, yeah.
1: we should also do we should also do the steph curry update because that well, well,
0: well really quickly before we do that and sure everyone is saying oh Kevon looney is so good he definitely has seized this role your colleagues at the athletic wrote a piece on that um i've maintained this for a long time that it's still it's got to be someone with more mobility than looney who can switch especially once they get in the Rockets series, um, although apparently Looney, you know, did a better job of guarding Aldridge in game three but I mean have you seen enough from Looney to believe that he can be effective against the Rockets or are you still in the camp of me that he's just he's too slow to guard a James Harden or Chris Paul on a switch
1: he is good enough to defend the Spurs he is not good enough to defend the Rockets those are two entirely different things and also he didn't do a great job on Patty Mills in this game he really struggled in games one and two with him so San Antonio doesn't challenge a guy like Yvonne Looney nearly as much and the Warriors unusually have enough at the one through four to play more of Draymond green at center and not like that's this is one of the whole issues with a lot of these other teams in the playoffs of oh yeah it's great like the bucks with Giannis at center yeah they can do well in those lineups but they just don't have enough guys to, to make it work to for more than just spurts the Warriors can make that happen and Looney he has shown his, his effort and activity has been good and so maybe he can be one of the kind of counterpunch guys and when when another team's best guy players are not on the floor but the Warriors have a bunch of those options David West I think is superior to Looney in just about every way other than maybe just like physical movement around the court but that doesn't matter as much to us because he doesn't need that so i it's certainly notable just in terms of the long-term progression looney is in this weird circumstance where i think the warriors want to bring him back but they can't pay him more than I believe it's 2.3 million but for this playoffs this might be one of those examples of a player doing too well early and so the coach trusts it. it's sort of the series analog of what of when a second unit does well so coach keeps them in against the starters
0: another thing too draymond looks better again defensively like he's he he is uh, i don't know if i want to say he's quite back at the absolute highest levels that he's been but four blocks two steals slater noted that uh, this is his first game with four blocks in months and I, i'm you know, a little skeptical of his offensive ability you know he looks a lot better with curry out there offensively his ability to get to the basket such as it was is really waned. but he's hitting he's taking enough threes two out of five he's hitting enough of them to keep the defense honest that, that's always important um but yeah let's get to that latest steph curry update now
1: on friday the warriors posted a new update and he because he was reevaluated today he they said he is making Consistent functional progress, and he's participating in modified team practices and will keep progressing. He will be reevaluated in a week. And why the one week timeline matters is because the first round, or sorry, the second round series, even if both the Warriors and the Pelicans sweep, cannot start before next weekend, so Saturday or Sunday. And that has to be the expectation now because I think one or both series would have to go six games or further for that to really push back. And reevaluated does not mean he will be ready to play. My instinct is that he will return in game three but this sets the timeline that it could be a little bit earlier than that
0: yeah marcus thompson suggesting maybe that it could be game three as well and you know maybe if the warriors win the first two at home uh, against the pels they might push that back even more it's looking like now that series is going to start over next weekend uh, assuming both the pels and warriors win in in five or less and but that wouldn't really change when game three would be typically when the second round gets or even the, the conference finals gets moved up to that weekend then you'll have this big gap in the middle of the series during that week so usually it'll be you know thursday or friday of that next week when game three is and and perhaps that's what they will be looking to for him all right well thanks so much for listening don't forget about uh, our sponsor today indochino use that cap space code to get any premium indochino suit for just 379 dollars we will be back on sunday night talk to you all then